Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. There is surely a future and a hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. That is Proverbs 23, verse 18. I am your host, Sandra Flack, home safe and sound. Last week's episode I recorded from my hotel room in Denver. I was there visiting my four-month-old grandson, Killian. He was in the Colorado Children's Hospital awaiting a major heart surgery. And I'm pleased to share that he came through a very long surgery and is presently stable. And at the time of this recording, he's still sedated, but stable. And um, just want to thank you for your prayers and ask that you would continue to pray for his full recovery. He has um, probably a good two or three weeks uh, to stay in the hospital for that recovery, um, but prayers are appreciated. And as we kick off the month of November. Can you believe it's November? I I don't think I'm quite ready. But I'd like to share some things I'm thankful for. Um, One, of course, is Killian and his successful surgery. And another is the birth um, of two grandbabies, really, this year. So Killian, um, he arrived back in June. Uh, He was born to my daughter, Missy, and her husband, Corey. And then my son, Andre, and his wife, Lauren, welcomed baby Cora to their family in October. So if you've read my book, Orphans No More, you'll be familiar um, with Missy. She's the first, um, our first adopted daughter. She came to us through a kinship situation uh, back in 1999. And Andre is the oldest of, uh, the oldest of a set of four siblings that we had adopted from Ukraine. And he came home back in uh, 2007. So um, just, I'm grateful for all eight of my children, for their spouses, and now our seven precious grandchildren. November always makes me feel a little nostalgic because we actually traveled to Ukraine in November of 2006 to adopt uh, our first three kids. We didn't know at the time who or how many we were adopting, but we traveled in November and we were there through November and December and um, just grateful for all of the kids, for the grandkids. And I'm thankful to the Lord for setting these children into my family. So what are you grateful for? I find gratefulness is an act of worship. I start every morning writing down some of the things that I'm thankful for. I have a thankfulness journal You know, this parenting journey is hard, and some days I have to dig a little, but I can always manage to find, you know, something, some little nugget of something to be thankful for. You know, some days it's just my puppy or our puppy, Slava's puppy. Uh, um, Sometimes it's, you know, my husband grabbed takeout for us for dinner. Um, I I got a hot shower, you know, the little things um, that bring us glimpses of hope and guide us through our days. Um, write them down. Be thankful for them. 
I encourage you this month to start a thankfulness journal journal of your own. Um, just grab any old notebook or a journal and start writing and number each one like a, a list. I started um, that practice uh, of keeping a daily thankfulness journal uh, several years ago after I read Anne Boskamp's book, 1000 Gifts. Um, so I've filled countless journals ever since. And it's become part of my morning quiet time practice. It's therapeutic, it's encouraging, um, and it really shows, you know, the hand of God throughout my life because there's little things I'm thankful for and then there's those big things. But I really feel like it just um, just helps me feel encouraged and hopeful on this journey. So give it a shot. November is a perfect month to start a thankfulness journal. November is also National Adoption Month. So today we're going to take a break from our primary characteristics of FASD series because I've done two episodes uh, where I'm just featuring one of the characteristics of an FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, um, and kind of breaking that down and showing you what it looks like, you know, in, in real life, in my daily life. Um, so we've done two of those episodes so far, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue with those. But today I have a special guest um, that I want to bring you. Um, she's a former foster youth. She's now an adoptive and foster mom. She's a licensed uh, social worker. Um, so we're going to be hearing from her shortly. But first, we have a few reminders. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Also, I am offering a free 45-minute lunch and learn Introduction to FASD. That will be on Wednesday, November 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. So you, you register on, uh, on our website. You can go to justicefororphansny.org, click on events at the top of the page, and you'll see the lunch and learn. Um, and you just register. It's free, but you need to register so we know who to send the Zoom link to. So it's an online um, lunch and learn. And I'm just going to spend 45 minutes sort of breaking down FASD um, and uh, the symptoms and just some strategies that you can use um, if you're if you're believing that you know that's what is going on at your house, like it is on mine at mine. And and even if you have you don't have a child diagnosed with an FASD. Um, maybe they have some other neurobehavioral disorder going on, or maybe you're just not sure. Um, it's a great opportunity to learn more and you can kind of see, cause I'll be going over the primary symptoms, the secondary, the tertiary, um, what that looks like and, and, and how to navigate that a little bit. So check it out. It's a free 45 minute lunch and learn intro to FASD. Again, that's Wednesday, November 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Register at justicefororphansny.org backslash 
events. You can find more resources and trainings on our website also. Uh, And we've included a link to the website in the show notes for this episode. So you can easily click on there and check it out. Be sure to check out our bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. Uh, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and much, much more. This series of episodes uh, focuses on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents, such as prenatal trauma, complex trauma, FASD, screen time, executive dysfunction, inappropriate sexual behaviors, working memory, cognitive flexibility, just so many, many things. Um, He brings us the science um, and then just gives us some uh, encouraging points that we can focus on to help our kiddos. So um, you won't want to miss those. We're doing about 20 um, uh, series in this podcast. 20 episodes in this podcast series. I guess that's how I should say it. Um, With Dr. Brown, they drop uh, in your inbox on Fridays. This podcast, this, the regular episodes of the adoption and foster care journey drop on Mondays. So while we're doing the series with Dr. Brown, you actually will have two podcasts a week that you can soak up. Um, and then we'll be taking a break after the 20 episodes with Dr. Brown. We'll take a break with those bonus episodes. Um, we may re- revisit and do some other, do a new series with him in the future, but we're going to do 20 total and then we're going to take a pause there, but you'll have plenty of time to go back and listen to all of them. If you haven't checked those out already, they are so popular with our listeners. So I hope you'll check those out. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss a single episode and so other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers can easily find this show and be encouraged and equipped also. Okay, now to our guest, Amber Jewell is a foster and adoptive mom, TBRI practitioner. She has her master's in social work, is the founder of Finding Hope LLC. She spent time in foster care as a child as well. She's also the author of a book, Finding Hope, 12 Keys to Healing Hardship, Hurt, and Sorrow, which I just finished reading. Great book. You're going to want to grab one. So please welcome Amber Jewell. Hey, Amber. Hello. So excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited to have you here because we met briefly at CAFO, the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit, back in September in Atlanta. And I grabbed a copy of your book and I just finished reading it and couldn't wait to have you on the show. So I'm excited to have you on. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I can't wait for my listeners to hear your story. Um, so let's, so we'll start at the beginning. Would you share um, for us uh, your experience being in foster care as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so excited to be here. And uh, it was my first year at CAPO. So just before I answer that question, I want you to know it was a great experience and, and really uh, God doing his work of connecting people, which was a beautiful thing. So the yes. joy to get to come here. And, and so that kind of makes me think when you ask, um, 
telling about my experience in foster care is is kind of similar. You know, sometimes where life exposes us to things that we don't understand or we we don't realize at the time how much we can receive blessings from what we're exposed to. Um, God has a way of touching lives and touching people, and we have a way of doing that. And that's what I experienced uh, definitely in foster care. So kind of in a brief moment, what I'll tell you is I actually did not go into foster care until I was uh, 12 years old for the final time, but I'd been in and out of foster care multiple times in my life before that. So there was some kinship homes, there was some respite homes, there was some foster homes that I don't remember. So what I'll say with that too is I might remember how I felt and I had some periods in my life that I was safe enough that I felt safe. And I, so I don't remember it as a significant time, which is kind of a blessing in itself. But then uh, my experience in foster care when I was 12, it's kind of funny. I, I live in central of the United States in Kansas, and I thought that I was going to run away from a, a very neglectful home and go live at my neighbor's house for the rest of my life. I thought <laughs> if I snuck out my door, I would live there and they'd never tell. And then they took me to the police station and that's how I got put into foster care. And I wonder how many of the kids, it's just not what they envisioned at all. And how do we have a real expectation of what the big foster care is? Um, so I know it's a, a loaded question on my experience in foster care, but in simple words, I would say I, it certainly had its up and downs. I had some great foster homes that I was in as a teenager. I mean, you have to be pretty awesome to handle teenagers. Yes. Teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think some people might be shaking their head right now saying, oh, yes. Yes. So taking me, it was a lot in itself. But there are such great things of learning what love really is, maybe what love isn't, what a role of a mom was. Uh, I went first to a group home. I was in a really big group home. And then I got moved down to a lower level placement home. The group home was very interesting because it allowed me to learn how many different kids are in foster care that may not have the same story I bring to the table. You know, we live in our own lives, in our own minds. And then I learned that a satanic gal was also in foster care and that I would need to go to a foster parent and ask for help when that happened. So it was very fascinating experience. Um, and then being in a, a foster home that I still had to do parent visits with my dad and my stepmom, who I was placed in foster care from, really taught me that talking to a foster parent and having a safe place to talk to somebody could be just as good as therapy sometimes. I don't know how many foster parents, <laughs> maybe you, Sandra, with your experience, have had foster parents say, that's like a therapist. She's my therapist. My foster parents, almost my therapist. <laughs> they want to talk to you safer. I felt that a lot. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Gosh. So you went from you went from the group home to a lower level home. Um, yes. Did you did you bounce around? Because I know eventually you did get permanency. But what was that? What were those years like as a teenager in the system? Yeah, I did get... I did get bounced around, but I didn't. I mean, I, I did move between homes, um, but not as quickly as some kids do. I was at my group home for a week. So that was really quick amount of time. And the amount of things that I experienced there was very, very significant. But then I went to a foster home for a year 
And my case was actually working on an ICPC, so an interstate compact assessment when there's a parent or a caregiver that lives in another state. So my mother, my biological mother lived in Kentucky. And so when I was in that home, they were doing an ICPC with her. So at the age of 13, I went to Kentucky and I always say, yeehaw. (laughs) And anyway, just a whole new experience in the cultural awareness that we get. But um, my mother, my biological mother, which I do talk about in my book, had some mental illness and a lot of trauma of her own. And so I actually only stayed out of state for about six months and came back to the state of Kansas, where I was placed in a temporary home, which I think a lot of foster parents and adoptive parents don't realize how impactful temporary placements can be if you're an emergency placement. I still remember where it was, what it looked like, who was there, how they greeted me, even though I was only there for a couple days. And then I went back to that same foster home before there, where there was a lot of mental illness in that home. Um, The foster parents struggled with mental illness, some depression of their own. What was kind of tough was they didn't treat themselves you know, really role modeling to me that when you have an issue, it's not that they had an issue as the problem, it's helping ourselves so that we can help others, getting their Mm -hmm. treatment so that they could mimic when they said, Amber, you need treatment, you need to talk to somebody, you need to get some help. They weren't role modeling that. And so eventually uh, I moved to a group home from there, which was an independent living home where you're supposed to age out and go into adulthood. I was 15 at the time. And Sandra, if I knew you at the time, I would come up to you and I'd say, hi, Sandra, do you want to adopt me? Can Mm. I join your family? Surely I could do all your dishes for you. And I would just beg and bargain with everybody around me, which was really a risk factor for somebody like Mm. me. Yeah. But I, I, that's when I actually was able to find the family that I call my permanent family. And I found them through church. Wow. That foster home had two really, really strict rules. They drove me crazy. This was a group foster home for independent living. I was 15. They had two rules. Rule number one, we had to go to school. I know a wretched (laughs) rule, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rule number two is we had to go to church. That was the other big rule. So when I went to church, I met the Sunday school teacher there. And those are the one. that's the family I ended up living with. So there's kind of a long story and a short synopsis of my experience in foster care. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that part. Now, you did get adopted, correct? Did I catch that right from your book? Um, I did not formally adopt. We did for benefits. So we would have done adoption, but because I was 15, the state benefits was better to do guardianship. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. So we would have gone either way. We just wanted what was best for us. So we did legal guardianship instead. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, you that was that became your permanent family. 100%. And so on legal terms, it's different. But in personal, it's the same. I was adopted. Yeah. And that's my family. Yeah. And that was your your Sunday school teacher. Do I remember that right from the book? That's correct. Yes. Wow. Incredible. I love that part of your story because we can all make a difference in the lives of others, right? And and sometimes we don't realize that role that we can play. Yeah, Yeah, it's very powerful. And I actually touch on that a lot in my book, but also just in my story. Um, 
there's a lot of wonderful speakers and authors and people who talk about that one person making a big impact in life. And I 100% support that. The different perspective I have is that sometimes we get frustrated because we feel like I want to be that one person, but we can't commit all that time, or maybe uh, we can't be the placement, or maybe we won't have that long term. And so I believe that you can have little moments of influence that make life changing impacts. And I can testify to that because the reason I went to church and connected with my Sunday school teacher as a 15 year old was because when I lived with my biological dad, who would do horrendous things and lock me in my room and isolate me from food and bathroom and and sanitary things is on Sundays, I would go to church because it was more convenient for me to be out of the house than in the house. And even then, I remembered how people at the church, how I felt at the church. Hmm. Even though I may never remember them, those people made big impacts to my life that changed me later on in life. Wow. I know we have a question coming up um, about that. I want to get to that, but I also want to get to the next part of your story because in your book, you talk about creating a life that you love. um, Mm -hmm. And and for you, that included attending college and um, something only about 3% of youth in foster care actually achieve. So why were you determined to go to college and what did you have to overcome in order to be successful there? Yes. So a couple of things that came from that was that my, my adoptive parents believed that I was capable to go to college. They never gave me that stigma or that belief that you can't, which I think a lot of times we, we don't allow our youth and our kids and, and foster kids to have that expectation and be the, the abnormal ones. Um, and I, my biggest motivation, it's a kind of an irony, is that I wanted to get away from my hometown, which was all my history. And I felt like I worked, worked, worked through high school to get there. And so I felt like that was supposed to be my freedom at 18. And so I actually chose the furthest in-state school away from where I lived so that I could get as far as I could possibly get. And you know what, friends, if that's the motivation to your kid to try something new and you can be there with it. That's okay. Support them in taking risk. There's something in risk taking that teaches us. And so when I went to college, that's really what it was. And it was very challenging. Uh, I actually had thought that college was supposed to be this stereotypical, free, life-changing, go enjoy and grow who into you are. And then I realized that the past is still a part of us, even when we're in college. And what happened for me that was kind of unique was when I was 18, I found out that I had epilepsy from a brain injury from child abuse when I was little. And so what happened was I got my driver's license taken away with the seizures. And so here I am going to this college four or five hours away without a driver's license now. So it made me very reliant on asking other people, building relationships with people that maybe I wasn't comfortable with using resources. Um, And that really helped me be successful in college. And then the other thing uh, I would say in college is I worked on the college campus 
I was a tutor when I was there and I really enjoyed being able to learn a few different things about others who had already been in college and be mentored by a teacher and be able to help other people to help myself, you know, really being able to talk to somebody else and say, you can do this. But a lot of times we're talking to ourselves when we say it. And that was, that was pretty powerful to me. Yeah. I love that. Now, so oftentimes I, you know, as a parent, as, as an adopted parent myself, um, kids who come in, whether it's through foster care or through an international adoption, say they've experienced trauma. You, you've testified to that. Um, some are prenatally exposed. Um, so a, a lot of times they have learning challenges, mm-hmm. um, learning disabilities, different things like that going on that make it hard for them academically in school. Um, and then, and then to go on to college is, is even more complicated. Did you have any challenges like that where learning was hard or did that not affect your, your, you academically? So learning itself was not significantly hard for me. I am a natural learner and that's actually been my motivation when I lived with my dad, getting the affirmation from the smiley face on my paper, the A, those were motivators for me. So not everybody's like that. They're not academically skilled in it. Um, On the other hand, I did have the barriers where I had the mental illness and the the seizures really bad. And so I actually had to go to the special ed um, of the colleges. So I didn't have an IEP or a 504 or anything, but I had to give medical verification if I was going to be gone. I had to have the safety plan, things like that. And it was very, very challenging. However, the challenges thunk at the time, they motivate me later to say, oh, wow, look, I did that. Everybody would have said I couldn't have, but look at that, I did. And that was really, really powerful to me. Um, I don't believe success is defined by any means of going to college. I think if I didn't want to go to college because I'm a natural learner, that's part of who I am that motivated me. But if I had been sufficient in a safe home, an independent person, having housing, having basic needs, you know, that's success in my family. That's success compared to where I came from. So really just redefining what success is too. Yeah, that's so wise. Cause I know, you know, I've got a couple of children that, um, you know, one in particular, one of my adopted kids, um, you know, college wasn't his, his, his direction, but he's very hands-on. So he's in a trade um, and he's very gifted in that area. So college yeah. isn't the be all end all. I absolutely, you know, agree with you there. Um, everybody's wired a little bit differently, but I know that you actually went on, you earned your master's in social work. Right. Um, so clearly the Lord had a plan here, right? You're on this track. Um, <laughs> so why did you become a social worker? Uh, I wanted to be everything but a social worker when I went to college. (laughs) I declared my degree. uh, I actually had a person really motivate me in in high school. I think everybody can probably think back to somebody in their education field uh, or their their families that have inspired them. Mine was an English teacher. I love language and writing and expression. 
So I wanted to be an English teacher and then I wanted to be a school counselor. Then I took a policy class and I discovered I hated following all those policies and the rules of the government and stuff like that, that was restrictive. So I changed my degree to psychology and then I got bored in all the assessments that you have to do. And then I changed my degree to something else and something else and something else. And so I finally went to a career assessment team and I would encourage anybody to do this. And they did a free assessment and they kept saying social work, social work, social work. <laughs> and I said, I am not going to do social work because they screwed up my life and made me who I am. And I was giving this blame to everybody else until they, they said, you really need to just take one. So I took one social work class, loved it, changed my degree and never went back. Never went back to anything else. Couldn't love a profession more. Um, and I, I just learned that we have a power to redefine the careers we go into, too. That, that part yeah. of going into them is, is believing in what they are. And we have the power to change that trajectory as well. Oh, I love that. So you, you kind of had a bad taste in your mouth, so to speak, about social workers, because being in foster care, you had workers mm -hmm. assigned to you. Um, what do you love about it now? About social work? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I love the values of social work and the belief in the dignity and worth of people, which is the core value of social work. Uh, and that is the heart of the heart in me of what it is, is no matter how broken, no, how hurt, um, how incapable we may feel, we are all valuable and worthy. And somebody gave me that sense. And so in this profession, it gives me the leeway to professionally give that type of ministry to the people around me. Mm, oh, I love that. Love that. And I love your book. Again, it's Finding Hope, 12 Keys to Healing Hardship, Hurt, and Sorrow. Little mm -hmm. book, very powerful. Each chapter takes the reader through your personal healing process, um, and you walk us through your entrance into foster care, what you learned about life along the way, um, like life is tough, but tough is tolerable. I like that. Um, and you do share um, about the people who made a difference in your life, such as your Sunday school teacher who went on to be, give you permanency in a family. Um, so... What else can you say about that? I know we talked a little bit about that at the beginning. Um, was there anybody else who invested in your life along the way that made a difference? Um, or if you want to just tell us a little bit more about the Sunday school teacher, um, just I, I feel like it's so beneficial for us to hear um, the impact we can make in the lives of others. So yeah. for the foster and adoptive parents who are listening and maybe struggling, like this is hard and you know, is it really making a difference? It clearly made a difference in your life with your Sunday school teacher. So um, what could you share about that? Oh my goodness. I could share forever about it because I truly believe that everybody makes an impact. Now the impact may be good. The impact may be bad. That's the choice the carrier has. And then I have the choice on how I receive it but all of them I learned from. And so I remember all of my foster parents, like I was saying with even my temporary foster parent, that was just two days. I remember them. I know where they live. Uh, I had a social worker, so I didn't talk a lot about the social workers uh, in, in the beginning here, but I remember my social workers. I still have my red book. Some people call it a green book, a blue book, whatever color book the kid had. That at Christmas time coming up, that's my holiday book. Everybody else is looking at family photos. I'm flipping through a red book 
Okay. And those people come to my thoughts during the holidays. And I had a social worker who had worked with my case. He'd done family preservation many, many years before. And I was so angry about him. And I, I think I write about him in the book. So angry because I thought he had just messed up my life and forced me back with my dad. And as a high, a high schooler, and when I went into college, we actually had lunch together. And he's since passed away. But at that time, we actually had a good conversation of understanding the other side of the story. And that was a freeing opportunity for me to forgive him and my judgment. That wasn't always correct. And especially before he passed away, which isn't always the opportunity we get. But that was pretty powerful. I've also met uh, some law enforcement in my community, one of them that did work my case. And what was very interesting, and we'll get to it in a little bit, is I have a adopted child now, and that law enforcement officer worked the case with my adopted child. And I wow. thought, yeah, how cool is that for him and for me to give people purpose for what they do? So. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to hear more about that. Um, <clears throat> in chapter five, uh, which is titled Learn From Your Past, I love this quote. You said, we have to practice a key skill of separating the power of a memory from the perception of reality. Would you share mm -hmm. what you mean by that? Yeah, I'm so glad you chose that one because it is a it's a very deep statement. Yeah. You know, our memories can overtake us, it seems so often. And I think especially in the world of trauma we allow the negative memories that power. So when I do testify or tell people or share my story, a lot of times they're like, well, you had such a sad story. That's because we're, our brains go to the negative memories naturally. And so the power of how that memory is, is not necessarily the truth of how it is. It's an emotional reaction to how we perceived it versus what reality was. So when I talked about my social worker a few minutes ago, at the time, the power of my memory was anger at him when I was 13 years old and he worked reintegration when I did not want to. I was so angry and I could carry that anger with that memory for the rest of my life. But the power of reality and the, the perception of reality is to remember, I was seeing that from the eyes of a child who was not a social worker, who didn't know what was going on. And since I've talked to him, I can say, oh, wow, that was a true good thing as a kid, but not necessarily the truth to the situation. Mm. And so changing my reality now is that was tough, but I can make it. And it's changing my reality right now. Oh, I love that. Also from chapter five, you wrote this, you wrote, Acknowledging how our stories are an important part of our lives is essential in healing for those impacted by trauma. Our past is part of our story, but not the whole story. Mm -hmm. Love that. So Amber, tell us what that means to you. Uh, that means the story's not over yet. And we have power, <laughs> so much more power. Sometimes we, the word we say is control. We want control, but we, we have power from this point forward to change our lives for the better. Um, it, it's part of us and who we are. 
At 18, we want this magic wand to just disappear. I'm no longer in fosh care or I'm no longer doing this or, or having these things. It's a part of us. It's part of our story. I mean, when I look in the mirror every day, because when I had surgery, you know, I have a, a to be able to get rid of the seizures, I have an injury that I see. I see my dad in the mirror because he's part of my, who I am. He's part of my mm. biology, but that's part of my past. That's not my story of where I'm going to go today and the compliment that I'm going to say to myself in the mirror. That's not my new story. I love that. We can write our own stories, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. So in chapter seven, you talk about sharing your wisdom because others can benefit from your story. Um, and you became a social worker, but you also became a foster and adoptive parent. So how has your experience as a kid in foster care uh, helped you in parenting kids from hard places? Yeah, it helps me have a lot more compassion, I think, to some of the things that they do. But I'm going to be honest, Sandra, it also, I think, sometimes makes me hold them to a little bit of a higher expectation because I'm mm -hmm. like, I know I've been there. And I know you are capable of more than you're giving yourself credit for and giving them that expectation. I, I noticed my worker when she advertises my husband and I as a foster home to somebody that she says, they're, now they'll make you be pretty independent. They're pretty <laughs> independent work, uh, foster home. And I'm like, that's because these kids, these young adults, these foster parents we mentor, whoever you are, we want you to believe that you're capable of great things because I've seen the other side where you are. And I've also set in the adoption foster side where it is so hard and it is so stressful. And so you allow yourself and we want to allow ourselves to hear that support and encouragement so we can continue to do it. Yeah. So how many, how many kids have you fostered and you've adopted? So tell us that, give us that breakdown. We have done a lot of long-term. We've only been doing it for uh, four or five years. We knew when we got married 15 years ago that we would do it eventually. We just didn't know when. I'll tell you, um, we have a little girl. We fostered her at one month old, and she's now our adoptive daughter. She's four, and we worked reintegration with her for a year and a half. And then we have a 10 year old son. He's our own biological. He is so energetic and ADHD every moment of the blessed day. And so he keeps <laughs> us on our toes. <laughs> and then we have a, a 23 year old boy who was a lot like my story. He came to us when he was 18. He'd been uh, aged out of the foster care system and said, I really need a safe place to go. And so uh, he, he stays with us during the holidays now, independent. And then we've fostered and have done uh, respite, mainly the rest of the time. Right now we have a teenage girl that lives with us. So it, it keeps us on our toes, but we enjoy it. Yeah. That's, I love how you can give back and you, and you know, and, and you can offer that compassion and that understanding as well. Um, in the last two chapters of your book, you talk about forgiveness and hope. So mm -hmm. how did you find hope? Uh, you know, hope is, is the belief in greater things to come. You know, it's being able to believe that something better will come. It doesn't ever say that it's easy. 
that right now is not challenging. And I leave forgiveness. I just want to say real quick that I leave forgiveness at the end of the chapter, end of the book, because it is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And in, in scripture terms, we are called to forgive, but God also knows it's a process. Sometimes I think those of us from hard places and foster parents and therapists and kids, we think it's get this expectation that it's supposed to be overnight. No, we're supposed to be in pursuit of forgiveness, pursuing Mm -hmm. it. And so it's a long process in that healing. And so on the other flip of that is where the hope comes for is knowing that I am capable, that I can work toward that life is a journey. It's a new story on every page. And I can keep moving that forward with the really cool people I've had and continue to have in my life. So like foster adoptive parents, people in the church, people in the community and people from my past that I get to reconnect with. It's all pretty awesome. And that's what builds the hope every day. Mm, Love that. So Amber, as we wrap up, um, many of our listeners are foster and adoptive parents. From your experience as a former foster youth and and sort of an adoptee, because you did get permanency, um, what would you say to struggling parents? Because as you know, raising kids from hard places is hard. Um, (laughs) Offer us a word of hope, a word of encouragement for those of us who are on this journey as well. Keep going. It matters. Everything that you do matters. It's not your obligation to save us. That's not, and and we have to pull ourselves back from that. And I ask that everybody does that and don't get the obligation or the commitment to save. Instead, teach us to save ourselves. That's mm-hmm. the best skills because we're going to come right back to uh, people like you who've taught us those things. And being an adoptive parent, I, I have to learn that in my own daughter, you know, when she looks at me and I have to teach her that, you know, you came from my heart. My son came from my belly. And when she gets a little older and she starts exploring those questions and asking those things, um, helping her find voice and words in things. And so foster parents, adoptive parents, anybody who's supporting them, you know, keep believing in what you're doing because as others heal, you are blessing them in ways you may never know. And it's so, so powerful and impactful. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so, Amber, where can our listeners find a copy of your book? The title is Finding Hope, 12 Keys to Healing, Hardship, Hurt, and Sorrow. All right. Well, there's quite a few places, but my favorite, of course, is my website, and that's Amber Jewel, and it's J-E-W-E-L-L. Uh, .org. And that's where I can send sign ones. Uh, But it's also available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and Hatherly Press. And uh, kind of a cool thing that I do. And one of my missions is to have every foster home in the United States having one of these books because the kids are mobile. And these are self-help reads, but the foster homes are a foundation that we need in our lives. And so every 10th book that I sell, I donate another one to a foster home. Oh, love that. That is incredible. And I could see where this book is definitely a tool um, that can be used. Um, So getting them into foster homes, great. Um, It's a great book. So I hope our listeners will check it out. Um, We'll include a link in our show notes uh, for your website. Everybody else knows how to find Amazon, but we'll give a link to your website in there because that is that is great. Um, so Amber, I just thank you so much for 
um, sharing your story with us today. Thank you for your book, which is a vital resource. Um, love what you're doing and um, so grateful to have you with us today. Thank you. Thanks for what you do. Oh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Um, I hope you feel encouraged and better equipped uh, after listening to Amber today. I know she just gives us great hope um, because she herself had been in foster care. She did find permanency um, and she's all about um, getting that hope and healing and forgiveness necessary um, to really have a better outcome, you know, and, and all of our kids are able to have that. Um, so I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Amber and I hope you will check out her book. Uh, it is called Finding Hope, 12 Keys to Healing, Hardship, Hurt and Sorrow. Um, and again, we will have a link to her website in the show notes. Um, so, so important. Um, and for help on your parenting journey, be sure to check out our website again for resources for foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. Uh, we offer the Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community. Our intro to FASD Lunch and Learn is free. Um, and our FACETS workshops are available. You can find out more about all of the above on our website at justicefororphansny.org. Uh, and for a signed copy of my award-winning book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, you can visit my personal website, sandraflack.com. There you can learn more about me, read my blog, uh, contact me for speaking opportunities, and grab a signed copy of my book. Um, or you can pick up a copy wherever you uh, like to get your books. If you do purchase it on Amazon, I would love it if you would go back in there and leave me a review on Amazon. Also, always like to give a shout out to our business sponsors, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, and Cullman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to let us know by subscribing and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. You can find both Justice for Orphans and myself, Sandra Flack, on Instagram and Facebook. I am grateful today that you spent your valuable time with me. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.